Heather, I'm on a plane that I pray won't get off the ground. It's a perfectly clear day, but I've got storm clouds in my mind. It's so foolish why I do this, why I do it all again. Heather, remind me how this ends. It's Acoustic Conversations. Welcome to the show, everybody. We're so glad to have you here. I am sitting here uh, around the lovely, homey atmosphere this time of uh, the abode of Mr. Kurt Siffert. Kurt, how are you? I'm doing great. It's good to see you. It's nice to have everyone here. Yeah, you look very charming, dapper. I've actually matched my furniture. You I do, actually. This is like an Eddie Bauer home. <laughs> uh, thank you for the use of your home for the first episode of Acoustic Conversations to air publicly. And uh, next to Kurt is lovely and talented Shane Corsetti. Hey, it's good to be here. Howdy, Shane. Hey. I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about some music. I am, too. I, I think this is going to be good. It's a new adventure for us. It's new, and I know I'm going to walk away having learned something and many things. I, I uh, you know, I th- we also, uh, Shane and I at least also uh, do the show uh, uh, Beer 30 Live, beer30live.com, please buy t-shirts. <laughs> and uh, and we, we were giddy, uh, because both Shane and I and, and Kurt were all musicians uh, of some sort or another, and uh, we, ha- we did a Beer 30 Live episode a while ago, I think it was episode number seven, uh, where right. we interviewed this gentleman, and, and we were giddy because we're musicians, and we don't, we're not really leftists, I will say that you, or rightists, or communists. Pete took over that show. That was <laughs> your show. That was totally your show. I don't think anybody else got a question in. I know. I, I get excited about talking about music. I really, I, I like talking about the process of music. I like talking about where music comes from. Well, let's for, go back to people. how, how is it that we are not communists or leftists? Uh, I'll tell you it's why. A very intriguing no. start of a sentence. I'm, I'm really glad you said that because going. the other two people. Uh, God bless them. Uh, on Beer Thirty Live, they are both polar opposites of one another. Oh. Uh, and uh, so, go listen to the show, Beer Thirty Live, everybody, and and you'll uh, you'll hear what we mean. Shane and I tend to be right in the middle, right. and that means we tend to be quiet <laughs> most of the time Polite until we centrist. get into a show where we like. And we just we got to talking about how how wonderful it would be where we got to do a show, uh, maybe not with the same schedule or you know rigor. But that we just got to talk about stuff that we really like talking about and just kind of take ourselves out of that other picture. So we're still doing Beer 30 Live. This is just sort of an, a little addendum to Beer 30 Live. We're very excited about it. And, uh, and to celebrate, I actually wrote an intro. Do tell. Are you ready? This is, this is we my... We have a snare drum right now. I know. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to sing it, but, uh, but I've, I've spent some time reading, uh, reading reviews uh, of our, our first guest here. And so I'm, I've got a little synopsis. Last month, uh, The Bandalorian released their fourth album, You Can't Win, to roundly enthusiastic reviews from press and fans alike. But this album is a departure for singer-songwriter Al James and band from their prior work, fueled by dark country undertones and injected with a subtle rage that shares a bloodline with both Elliot Smith and Trent Reznor. Of the album, Willamette Wink's Casey Jarman writes in this review, quote, he sings as if he's just slid out of a coma, relearning each syllable tackling them slowly while searching for strength enough to sustain the notes of another and beachcomber blues sounds like the oregon coast with ben nugent's brushed drumming and laura gibson's harmonies blowing in like ocean winds i spent most of my life near oregon's beaches and they are truly as beautiful and miserable as well delorean 
<laughs> We're here with DeLorean frontman Al James and thrilled to welcome him to Acoustic Conversations. Al, thanks for sitting thanks down Thanks for me. having me. I appreciate it. I, I, uh, I, I got another quote for you. What's that? I want you, and it's a, I'm going to quote you to you. There's a couple <laughs> bad ones out there. Too. <laughs> well, you can tell me because this one's you to you on this album. Okay. At the beginning of 2006, when we started recording this album, the words, you can't win, were an incredibly real feeling that I had. I was tired of being broke. I was tired of personal relationships falling apart. I was tired of feeling completely ungrounded day to day. A year has passed, and none of that has changed much, but I've realized there's a power in giving up on the idea of winning. Al, where did this album come from, man? <laughs> <laughs> um, it... it um, I think the the uh, the writer f from the Mercury um, last week he sent me some questions that I answered and and it was sort of about um, sort of trying to reach a certain level of success or winning and just sort of how that ties in with um, traveling a lot and touring a lot and if that was he saw that as sort of the main theme of the album and he asked a couple good questions and I guess I sort of looking back on it that was a big part of it um, I put a lot of time into supporting the last the previous record Violence in the Snowy Fields um, put time into two two full US tours uh, two European tours and um, sort of came back from the last European tour and everything was uh, was changed. Um, the girlfriend that I had for f four years basically had a a, uh, a new boyfriend um, when I came back and um, and I was out of money and um, you know knew that I wanted to start working on another record but knew it was just gonna be a weird sort of time of uh, rebuilding and getting getting the guys back together to record and just sort of knew it was going to be a long process until another album came out and um, we weren't really going to have anything to support we'd sort of um, we'd basically played as much as we wanted to play from that album so there weren't really shows on the horizon there wasn't necessarily I mean we jumped into recording about three or four months after that but it was just it was a real feeling of being ungrounded and uh, and you know have s sort of worked through that but that was what was mainly going on just kind of coming home to um, things being different than when I left you know but um, you know I, I think it was all for 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 good in the end the album you can't win uh one of the things I find most interesting about Violence in the Snowy Fields is that it's it is it really is a very different uh, album than uh, than You Can't Win. I mean, this You Can't Win is just, well, even just not, not exotic a, too. I mean, not exactly. Well, I mean, well, exactly. There's not a lot of three of them, and it's there's a definite feel to all three of them. And I'm trying to figure out if there's a progression there or if it, these are just slices of life, like snapshots of where you are. I think there's a definite progression within the band. Um, the first record, um, more or less not exotic, was Ben and Jay, the piano player, and myself learning songs that I had fairly quickly 
sitting in the studio and recording everything live, the three of us. And then from there, um, adding bass and some mandolin. And we really labored over it. We also didn't have, I didn't have much money at the time. So um, it just, we really chipped away at it. Also didn't have a label or a recording budget or anything. It was just something I knew I wanted to do with uh, these particular guys and in a particular studio with the producer, um, Jeff Saltzman. And so that one was, I mean, we were very green going into it. Um, I for sure had very little re recording experience and it was, it was pretty overwhelming for me. And um, I'm surprised sometimes that I even finished just because it was, I didn't really understand the process or just the sort of work that it takes to record. Um, I mean, anyone who who does it realizes right away that there's there's almost no magic in recording. Um, what do you mean by that? Um, you know, you <clears throat> you go in. Uh, I went in thinking like, you know, we're just going to get these performances down right away, and they're going to be great because they're feeling great when we're rehearsing them. And uh, and Jeff. <clears throat> was a real honest producer which makes him great it was a little bit hard on my ego initially and now I realized that it was a great thing for me to go through and now my standards are pretty high as far as um, sort of looking back so on, a, on a take and saying okay there's something good here or like no like that's not nearly as good as we we thought it at what the moment. Of, what kind of things would he actually push you on? That's interesting to me. Like um, choices of what mostly tempo. Yeah. Um, and it was also interesting for that record. I don't think I could, I could do it again, but I sang live too. So we got vocals, acoustic guitar, drums, and piano, which are pretty much some of the hardest things to record in unison. Like recording acoustic guitar and drums in the same room is always kind of one of the harder things and then throw in a slightly out of tune piano that was down at the studio <laughs> and then every time I, I had to basically get the singing right so we went for it that way and I think we've done it differently since and I think I could work up to that again having all the vocals pretty much ready and um, but he he would just kind of talk a lot mostly about feeling and tempo and just sort of um, just the amount of playing that, say, Jay, the piano player, was, was doing, um, the busyness of Ben's drums and that sort of thing. It, no, those two guys, though, they'd been, you know, they were the standard, we, right? Um, ben wasn't, but, you know, the three of us had just sort of, in, or Jay and I had just sort of invited Ben to start playing with us before the recording. So, um, yeah, a, a lot of it was, a lot of it is, ends up being tempo, I think, and kind of consistent um, consistency in that um, but Ben is a really great drummer and he, he usually is pretty pretty on with that and, and you know there's naturally going to be moments of sort of speeding up and slowing down um, that kind of feel organic and then there's just times where you can kind of you know you can tell that things are sort of becoming unf you know unfrayed in, in a take or whatever sure. um, so those were some of the main main things um, I guess the to the to come around to the question is that th by the second record 
we were flying Jay in from tour from tours to like for a week at a time to play on the session and it was it was kind of a lot more pieced together for violence in the snowy fields we had I spent half the recording budget on out of string or out of tune string quartets that was a nightmare for the most part. Sorry if any of them here. <laughs> I don't think they will, but you know, Jay wrote string arrangements because I mean he's a he's a trained pianist um, as well and can write music. And he would I'd call up string um, trios or um, players and say, well, we have this arrangement. I'd be happy to drop it by your house and, um, you know, you can take a look at it. And, you know, they were, most of them were a hundred to $200 an hour. And they just kind of kept saying, oh no, it'll be fine. And they were really sophisticated string parts that he wrote. And they also, it's a totally different thing for people who are usually playing, um, kind of live to like use headphones and you know all that sort of stuff was different and we spent a lot of time doing that and we sent tracks down to this guy to play lap steel on and it was just kind of it was less uh organic i think the least organic of all the records well i was i was just going to say that i mean of all the records it feels the most produced right right uh almost by con uh, quite <clears throat> stark contrast to uh you can't win. Yeah, there seemed more. I was listening to it today. To it today, mm -hmm. just more levels to it. There was more. Um, it, it was. It was really. It was very full. Right. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah. You had your electric guitar. I can't remember who your guitar. Your. Right. You know, it, but there was you know the, all these elements to it. You had the female singer and you yeah know, all this stuff that it did seem like it was. Hey, we're gonna put. You know, this isn't three people sitting down in a right. studio doing it together. Yeah, and. and we, I think, I'm glad we tried some of that stuff, you know, um, I think it, some of it worked and some of it didn't, you know. And, Did you bring uh, any of it out till You Can't Win? I mean, what'd you learn from that experience for, uh, to just build on? Mostly that I was done with string arrangements until, <laughs> until I had a bigger budget to work with, you know, and could, you could just pay, like, you know, the difference between an orchestra string player and, like, a session st string player, you know, they're just sort of in two different mindsets and... And I probably wouldn't do it again until I just had enough money to just be like, you know, take it somewhere and be like, you know, here we go. The preference let's, let's is a session it. string player? Right. For for recording. Yeah. Uh, th that's sort of my understanding. Um, I think we took away, you know, I think Jay was dissatisfied with the record because he was busy touring with an other band and he kind of felt like we would drop them in on these sessions and say, okay, play for a week and, and you know, get the right takes. And he was kind of saying, like, wow, I'm just figuring this out. You know, the songs aren't hard, but I'm just sort of figuring out my spot in this song. So um, I think we took that away mostly, just that we wanted to start simplifying things and um, sort of more right parts not parts, but just play, I guess, and know where people were going to play and, and not say, you know, we had Emil playing guitar on this record and he did a really nice job, but it was more where we just wanted him to play throughout um, and just sort of feel like a band was playing and not 
like, okay, write a part for this. Mm. So I guess we didn't play parts, we just played, basically. And I think that was a step we needed to take, and we're getting better and better at it. Um, where I, I'm really excited about continuing to record with these four other folks, because it's definitely getting better once we sort of crossed the threshold on this last album. Are these the same four people that you've been with since, when was it, 1999? More or less. More or less? Yeah. Um, uh, Jake? Jake Clark, Clark. James Adair on bass, Ben Nugent on drums, and then Emil uh, Amos on guitar. He's played with us on and off, and uh, James and Ben actually have played in a band um, for years together as a rhythm section, so they know each other really well. And Emil and James, even they both grew up in Chapel Hill. I mean, there's a lot of uh, kind of deep seated stuff going on so people play together really well so one of the things i'm interested in is uh um he read you the quote from the beginning of your description about you can't win and what's interesting to me is kind of what came right after that when you actually start talking about how as you went through the songwriting process and the production process for that album it's almost as if you came to like a new definition of what uh you know of what that concept meant to you but also Maybe like a new definition of what musical success was. Right. Uh, yeah, I think I think both those things. You know, I think it's it's hard because this band is kind of as uh, as as my responsibility has sort of grown as taking care of everything, uh, finances, business wise, whatever, and sort of writing the skeletons of the songs like. So you would think that it would sort of grow in a direction where it became more singular. And actually, it's kind of become more of a group effort simultaneously. So, yeah, as far as uh, learning about, um, say, winning in a, you know, through that process, I think um, that was a big lesson that I, I really enjoyed the record the recording process this time where I, I hadn't enjoyed it as much. I really liked just sitting back and letting people play and not micromanaging them as much as I had in the past or sort of obsessing about sounds. You know, th that was a big thing where it was like, well, let's borrow this Vox AC30 for this one part to get like this certain guitar tone and kind of nerd out about it. It was kind of like a prideful thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, this is what the birds used in whatever. And then I just, for this record, I was like, I, I so don't care. Like, whatever, like, run it through, reamp it. Like, play the part and we'll reamp it later through a twin. Like, I don't, you know, like, if the part feels good, like, I'm not in a spot to really obsess over tones on this record. And I think that we worked fast because of that. And... I think that's kind of what this record was about, I guess. And I really enjoyed that. And I'd kind of like to get s somewhat m more, um, you know, I'd like to find a place in the middle. I do like, I mean, there's a, a certain way things sound that also really affects you, aside from just performances and, and the actual song. But, you know, I, I think we'll take... A little bit more of an interest in the production elements uh, this time, 
for the next one. But, um, you know, I'm happy with the way it turned out. It was just kind of a mentality change where it was weak. I, I quit obsessing. I know that. When you, uh, you mentioned that, like, when you came back from the European tour, that uh, you were tired of being broke. And mm -hmm. I, like, I wonder, was there, you know, what kind of thoughts were going through your head there in terms of what actual, like, you know, business success in music meant? I'm wondering, like, if there were, were there periods of times or stories, like when you were on tour, when you, know, you, you felt like things were really successful, and then? Yeah, it was, uh, most of that tour felt really successful. We were opening up for a Seattle songwriter named Damien Gerardo, who's one of my favorite songwriters, and it's been a wild experience to basically listen to him when I was 19 and say this is probably one of my favorite songwriters and then basically the first time we opened for him he says I love your record and we've done <laughs> you know three tours together since then and have become some you know closest one of the closest friends I have it's I every time I think about that I'm just like really um, I'm very thankful but it was a great tour I mean the venues were beautiful um, when we tour over there uh, the food is comped you have a driver hmm. um, the pay is pretty great and the the conversion back to dollars is totally in your favor <laughs> and so there's all these there's so You're many great star. things you yeah. know for a second yeah <laughs> uh, but no but I mean but that's funny though because if you go on the website you see people saying, hey, when are you coming back to Sweden? When are you coming to England? You when know, you? I was noticing that on Amazon. Yeah. The reviews yeah. on Amazon are from the UK. They're from yeah. everywhere. But that's also, you know, a, a few people, you know? <laughs> I mean... Uh, but they're a vocal few. No, it, it is, and it's, it's really cool. I really haven't... I mean, to me, as far as to bring it kind of back around to the concept of you can't win, it's, or my definition of winning is, you know... And I think I sort of verbalized this with the guy from the Mercury. I was like, I said, you know, when, when we're performing at a high level and we get to travel and see places that I haven't seen before and then perform on top of that, it's, I kind of, that's, you know, that's kind of it for me. That you know, like your definition of winning. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, when, when me and uh, myself and these certain musicians are collaborating, at a high level, you know, and that's up and down. There's an ebb and flow to that, but um, that feels very much like winning. But it's the same sort of thing where you come home and you're like, wow, that was a great tour. Let's go over the money. Like, okay, yeah, that's pretty good. You know, we all came home with a little bit of money to pay the bills that are sitting in the mailbox. <laughs> but then it's kind of, you go, okay, well, what's next, you know? Right. I imagine it's difficult to find that renewed momentum after each one of these major milestones. It is. It's hard, and it's also. Um, it seems like, yeah, it's it's really the bands that basically have a booking agent or a manager or someone that's constantly creating opportunities are the ones that sort of get get out of that. Well. I'm sure it's constantly up and down for everyone, but, you know, when people are, you know, constantly creating, say, they come home and they say, oh, well, we've got this thing you need to do for a soundtrack, and then 
oh, well, we got these other dates for you. And then you get back from that and, oh, well, let's start working on a new record. Here's your advance. And, you know, that happens for a small group of, of bands where they can keep that busy and kind of constantly generate income different ways, you know. And we're, you know, we get closer to that, but... What is that, I mean, what is that transition point? I mean, bef between, uh, I, I almost look at the the artists that I'm the most, uh, I'm, I'm sort of one of the biggest fans of. I mean, you get the Dave Matthews, which I followed since, you know, college, and mm -hmm. seeing them do college shows and being the touring musicians, and now Dave Matthews is on House, you know? I mean, yeah. he's trying to be an actor now, and I'd, yeah. I mean, that just blows me away. That I, right. At first, it makes me feel really old. It seems but like it's then, a really interesting Catch-22, because you've got, like, the... You've got the duties of trying to create the momentum for yourself, but in order to create the momentum, you have to take a break in your momentum from the band in order to focus on that. Which <laughs> Well, exactly, right. because if you don't, then you turn into, and, and Pete Yorn is one of my favorites, but the guy is, I mean, he's never made that transition. Right. Where it's been extremely difficult, and he's a 320-day-a-year touring artist. But your question artist. is, do, you, do people want to make that, that transition? That's true, yeah. of course. There's I a mean, transition, and I mean, I honestly, aside from... Um, all the sort of internet things that go on, I still feel like there's a groundswell of basically word of mouth or just sort of acceptance or something or some sort of uh, mafia type thing where you're like a made person and mm -hmm. it, it's like somebody's like, got to give you the nod. Right, but yeah. it like, you know, it happens like uh, Matt Ward, um, M. Ward, he. I mean, he used to play in Portland um, for years and years. He would, when, right when I first moved into town, he was just leaving on his first tour as a guitar player for Giant Sand. And uh, I saw him play, but then I never saw him for like four years, except for he would come and play shows, and nobody came. I mean, nobody would come. There would be a few friends in whatever mean meantime he's like a touring guitarist for cat power giant sand bright eyes you know all these people hanging out with nora jones or whatever you know mm -hmm. and then there was just a certain point where he came back one time and it was just like sold out the aladdin hmm. you know but it wasn't it was less than a year before when he had played like a real crummy show Right. You know, overnight success takes four years. Basically, you know, and, and even probably the, the time between those shows was probably a year, and I think he had had kind of his first of the bigger albums come out, but it really was like he was grinding, you know, as a touring sort of sideman, you know, but he had enough people sort of championing his own work, but it really, I mean, it's been really recent that he was even, you know, in the last couple of years in his own hometown sort of done well. So it's almost kind of like he, he um, the the critical mass point that he reached, it wasn't really even visible. It just kind of sort of like happened. Right. I, I mean, that's what it seems like. Yeah. I mean, I, I see that for a lot of bands where, um, and I, I don't know for sure what it is, but <laughs> they'll come back each time and you can just sort of see it go, go up and up and up and then at one point it's just kind of like okay every show that is going to be sold out for a number of years and you know that's what club people want and then there's other people that kind of and I don't I don't ever if I'm realistic I don't really see us in that position 
just sort of based on the music well, in that what we make. In what position? In that, that, that sort of like, club sold out all the time. Right. That. That's not too realistic. Um, but I see us, you know, as having like a lot of the tours that we've gone on. Uh, Eric Bachman from Crooked Fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, this Chris and Hirsch tour coming up. The Damien Gerardo stuff. Richard Buckner. Um, you know, they sell out some of their shows, but it's not this just universal thing. And they've been doing it. They've they've almost been cursed by putting out a half dozen great records in their careers. And so they never kind of went, they never maybe had a, cra- a crazy debut record that just made them mm-hmm. really popular, or they never had a bad one that made the next one, the next good one seem really great and sort of, <laughs> the, you com- know, the comeback record. Right. right I mean, they, they've just, all of those artists are just so solid and, you know, but people, people will continue to buy their records. Whereas some of these other things, I really feel like a lot of it will end up in the used bin, you know, down at the record store, for better or worse, you know. How could you fall in love with the target when I am the gun? And how could you spend the night with the shadow when I am the sun? And all your attention for the corkscrew when I him the wine and all your affection for the hymn book when I am the choir if love is blind then the lights are out you couldn't live with and now you can't live without I'm in love with the love I'm in love with the doubt I'm in love with the love I'm in love with the doubt I uh, I was in 
you know, I mean, I've been a fan of of DeLorean for, you know, probably over a year now since you gave me that first CD, Shane, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, since I pirated that first CD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I, uh, I, I totally tripped out today. I was in Best Buy. And there you are. Yeah. Like, I'm looking, there's like Duncan Sheik, and then there's DeLorean, and I'm holy crap, and all the albums are there. That's funny. There's DeLorean and Best Buy. Like, that's... Yeah. That's, well, a big, I, that's know, kind of a big deal, right? Yeah. To be in the big bin. Yeah, I didn't know we were in there. No, no. borders, you know. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I'm looking out for you. No, I I'll appreciate go and it. I'll check in and I'll be where, like, where music I, is I sold. I gotta see it. You know? <laughs> no, it is, it is interesting, you know. And there's absolutely no worse feeling than rolling into, you know, the city that you're playing, and you go to the record store. And you're not there. In the in the, you know. In the town, say you go to, you know, um, uh, Athens, Georgia, is like college town, music right. town. You go to the great record store there on the main strip, mm -hmm. and it's like you don't even have a card there, yeah. you know, and you're just going, why, why, why are we even playing here tonight? Like, mm -hmm. this is confusing to me, you know? And we don't deal with that nearly as much as we did with the first record, which is totally understandable, you know? It was. The first record, right? Yeah, and it's just—it really takes a while for, um, you know, people to either even hear it or give it a listen and decide. Oh well, we like it, and it sort of fits with our program here, or or not. And I mean, I don't even really want to know what all goes on to get three DeLorean records in Best Buy. You know, um, but it's cool. It's yeah. it's. I, I really. Have but you always... didn't have to sell your soul to anybody, right? I mean, you're <laughs> not, not like I, glowing well, red. Well, not that I know of. But you know, <laughs> it but, may have been sold on your behalf. But you know, it's cool because I I really, I mean, I love. I have to probably the one of the best moments on this kind of promotion of the new record was um, going into the Jackpot Records on Hawthorne, mm -hmm. which is the one I've always kind of shopped at. And to see the new record, like the LP of it up on the wall, was it was probably the best moment of this whole thing. Because I haven't ever really had my stuff. It's always been in the racks, you know, but for them to sort of put up in the walls. I, it's a kind of goofy thing, but to me that was kind of the, my favorite moment of You're the whole. You're a made man now. <laughs> well, not really, but you know, it was just kind of, it was, right. it was cool. Uh, somebody's gonna make a sandwich named after you, right? Isn't that what it means? To be yeah. made? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The Al James. I wonder what would yeah. be on the Al James. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm really interested in these transition points, and we've been talking a little bit about about the label. Uh, when did you sign uh, with Yep Rock, and what did that relationship look like? Um, well, the first record we I paid for out of pocket. Can what, I? Make, can, yeah, well, yeah. can I? You know. Because you had Sudden Oak too. We had a CDR basically that okay. was uh, it was packaged pretty nicely. It was you know it was it was um, the first. The label was done in Sharpie. <laughs> Not pretty much. Good, I mean, it's you know, it was the first thing that we did that was uh, you know I made about a hundred of them and passed them around to. So clubs this was at a time when you were just out kind of touring a little bit locally, putting songs just, together, just putting a CDR, hoping to get a show locally. Basically, you yeah. know, playing. Um, at first it was just me and then it was myself and Jay it was sort of keyboards and guitar and then we added drums for a couple of shows and then bass and um, uh, basically we had Not Exotic finished um, 
and I had sort of spent, I was just working and like paying for the recording basically. And then um, the standard friends of ours kind of met these managers at a show in North Carolina and one of them came out and they were sort of representing them for a while. And uh, I gave them uh, this one guy, uh, Simon Harper, he used to work at 4AD and Rough Trade over in England back in the day. and we had similar musical tastes, sort of that era of 4AD, which is uh, like Red House Painters and some, some stuff that was, um, we kind of had some mutual um, uh, things that we liked. And I gave him the record and then they sort of just basically said, well, we'd like to represent you to try to find a label. And it was a really long time, almost a year. And then they ended up, um, getting us and the standard and another couple bands that they were representing. I think they sort of packaged everything to to Yep Rock. And um, so Yep Rock, they bought it from us for a little bit of money and came out and did pretty well for a debut record. We did a national tour, played South by Southwest, and but they signed us for three records, and so we did... The next one, you know, we just sort of did it. You take an advance. Um, What's the pressure of that, though? I mean, like... Not much. I mean, really? actually, Seriously. I have to say, with Yep Rock, they're really... I never would... You know, the advances weren't a ton. You know, they were... Yeah, do you mind if I ask? What are we yeah, talking about? Um, I think I got 10000 for the first record, and then it was fifteen and fifteen from there on out. But, you know... Uh, the first record was for Not Exotic. Right, right yeah. Okay. And then I, you know, they gave, you know, we burned through 15 really fast on violence and actually spent it on the recording and the string. I mean, honestly, honestly, that was probably half of it. And, uh, uh, and uh, then, uh, and then I, in, in uh, you know, in full disclosure, the next record, I basically drank fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, I mean, we did it really cheap, and I just—I was in a bad spot, and I just said, I took half the advance, and I said I have to live off this, and um, I was working some, but I was just had bills to pay, and you know. It's like—I mean—you ask what kind of pressure it is from the label. I think the pressure is—it's a different kind of pressure. Well, I mean, I'm this is like a side that I don't. Yourself, yeah, you know? I mean, I just like, don't I even think sit about. And I, you know. The songwriting process to me is what interests me the most. And somebody who's a definite novice at it and like writes two lines and is like, this is crap. <laughs> this is you know, crap. Yeah, no, you know, like, so tell me about how that works for you. I mean, is it this like, you're sitting down, you're strumming some chord progression, you're like, oh, I know, I drink one bottle of wine and that's how it's going to go. Right. Were, uh, were you drunk when you wrote that song? <laughs> I, that was, it was more like two or three, but unfortunately. <laughs> One bottle of wine each night To help me get over you And I've grown quite fond of what One bottle can Put 
puts me to sleep without a dream without a thought of anything and when I wake the day's halfway done It's time to start another one So I drink one bottle of wine each night to help me get over you I've grown quite fond of what one bottle can do. Now I go beyond where the tears come. the urge to pick up the phone my mind's a blank it's better off that way whatever it takes to feel okay I drink one bottle of wine each night to help me get over you and I have grown quite fond of what one bottle can do I've grown quite fond of what one bottle can do. I guess uh, I don't, I never felt too much pressure. I knew that we could do it. I always know that we can make a record. Um, and Yeprock was always, the, I, I've never sent them a single rough mix of anything we've ever done. Uh, they've never made me. They've just always, they're pretty trusting, which is, uh, which I think is uh, complimentary. You just, you just send them a gold master when you're done? Basically, then... it was just, you know, it, it, this last one, it had sort of been drawn out, and I just, I hated the rush of the previous one, and so I just really, took my time on the packaging, took my time on getting it mastered and that I was happy with the mixes and and they definitely kept calling kind of saying, so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, you know, it's. I think they were a little bit, 
you know, we had had a little bit of a kind of a back and forth. So I think they were just hoping that I wasn't going to give them a live in Budokan or something, you know, <laughs> uh, or, you know, just, right. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so I did, once I sent it to them, they were, they got back right away and they were really happy with it. And I don't ever feel any pressure about the money. I guess I just feel pressure, um, to do something better or different. You know, because mm -hmm. um, really there's a real small group of people that sort of follow what we do. It's not, there isn't, I don't feel pressure from them or anything like that. I mean, it's very, it's a very, very small little group of people. And I think they're pretty much just sort of along for the ride and are interested in kind of where the creative process takes this particular group of musicians. and. Mm -hmm. They'll kind of check in and out with it, you know. Um, the I knew him when crowd. <laughs> well, you know, or it just might be I know him, you know. <laughs> I, uh, it just might be, yeah, we're at another DeLorean show. and How did I end up at all 50 of them in this on the West Coast? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and which is fine, you know. Um, I, I really enjoy when we tour and see some of the same people that we see every time we play in the same venue and you know there's maybe a little bit more or whatever and it's like yeah I remember you from the very yeah. first time we played in Des Moines Iowa and hmm. thanks for coming back again and but that loyalty that loyalty has to say something I mean it, it does it does I mean it, it that's really speaks volumes of yeah I think it's nice. rare I think I that's sort of what I think is the main um the first thing that sort of goes with all the internet stuff is you know people sort of act like you're connecting with more people in a better way. And I just sort of feel like if you leave a smart-ass comment on someone's MySpace site, like that's not a connecting to anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, like that doesn't really mean yeah. anything. Like it doesn't mean that they're going to buy a record. It doesn't mean they're going to show up to a show. You see these ads of, you know, buy this this iTunes phone and... Right, or it's just like, yeah. just like sweet tunes, dude, yeah, or, you know, yeah, right. check out mine at, you know, and yeah. I just don't see that as truly building a community. Right. And I think that, you know, the sort of thing that I've seen with the people that, that tour, like, um, that we've toured with, and the sense I get from, say, Chris and Hirsch's fans is they're just insanely loyal because they come from sort of an era where it was just sort of different and... um and she has fans that she can count on. And I don't think that a lot of these younger bands that do really well right off, I don't think that they have maybe very reliable fan base in the long term where, you know, she's been doing it for 10 or 15 years. And there's kind of like no doubt in her mind when she goes to a place that she's, you know, that there's people there that are really looking forward to watching her perform, you know. Right. I, uh, I, uh, one of the things that I like so much about your music is I, I, I am, uh, I, I think your voice is fascinating to me because it, in, in most of your songs, particularly on You Can't Win, it gets, it gets almost lost in the band as another instrument, which is bittersweet for me because I also think you're a fantastic lyricist and I think, uh, I'm, I'm interested in where your lyrics come from and how mm -hmm. you, 
how you integrate those into songs and, and just sort of where, to, where your performance comes from as you're writing. Well, I, um, lyrics usually come from uh, driving for the most part. Hmm. Almost all the time, um, there's hardly anything that's really s stuck around that wasn't written in the car for <laughs> some reason. How do you record the lyrics while you're driving? <laughs> I just remember them. I just sing them enough times over and over to sort of um, make sure that I have them down. I know totally what you mean. What is it about driving? What is it? Oh, <laughs> driving is the ultimate. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, that's what I've done for the last six years. I, I mean, on and off, I've worked for different uh, distributor, wine importer folks in town. And like this year, I've driven up to Seattle once a week and the the uh, stereo in my van was stolen almost three years ago and I just sort of never replaced it. <laughs> so, you know, it's six <laughs> hours. painful as a musician? Oh, like, oh my God. It's kind of great, actually. Really? It's like six hours of just total silence and I just sort of zone out mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, write songs and... Yeah, where do you have the excuse other than driving to be able to zone out like that? Right. No, yeah. it's great. And just your mind can be 100% active at that point in time. I mean, I've come up with some crazy schemes, you know, <laughs> outfits and this and that for <laughs> DeLorean tours. So I'm just like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is what we're wearing, you know. And luckily... Are we talking like Kiss stuff? or what? Uh, I want, Everything you know, looks better in spandex. <laughs> right. Um... <laughs> Actually, some this, this, this <laughs> funny you bring up spandex. <laughs> no, this last week actually was I had to call ba our bass player James because he's just kind of like an ultimate FM radio, you know, Eagles loving sort of <laughs> like you know dude. And he he called uh, or I called him and I said because I drove another van up to Seattle like for another company just helping them out and it had a stereo in it. And I turned it on, and it was just, it was insane. It was like I'd had sensory deprivation or something. So Van Halen was like the first thing I heard. <laughs> oh, gosh. And I was just going, man, this is the hugest drum sound I've ever heard in my life. And these, this is the raddest band ever, pretty much. It's what I decided. Go, and, Eddie, go. And then, and, then, and then Rush came on. I was like, oh, oh. my God. And it was... You grimaced? It was, well, it was, a, it was the worst Rush song I've ever heard. It was, um, it was from Fly By Night. Um, oh, but it was something about the trees, like the maple trees or something. It was a real, like, kind of echo. Yeah, no, Russ should never write a song jam. about trees. Yeah, I mean. Ferraris. <laughs> yeah, they can write about Ferraris. Gosh. Um, so most of it gets done there. And, you know, at least sort of the seeds of things. Do you what, put pressure on yourself as a performer? I mean, what, what do you see as your shortcomings? Pitch. I usually sing the first part of every phrase out of pitch and my breathing is really bad I need to go to like a vocal coach and learn about actually breathing I sing through my nose and through my face and I should use my breath and my um, chest way more I mean it's like your whole body I guess is an instrument and I'm only using basically the front <laughs> right here you know I mean it, it I really it would serve me well to do that and I also I'm not a great guitar player. It's really, I mean, if you pay, you know, it doesn't take much to figure out that almost everything is in the same key, mm. you know, 
Which, you know, I mean, isn't necessarily a bad thing. It, but it really requires um, having the guys around that I have around that take those really basic structures and turn them into something better. I think that's know? it, though. I mean, if you were to have somebody on there or you yourself just like shredding at a guitar, you know, it just wouldn't work. Right. You know, for the songs that you've written. Well, you know, isn't that not... it? I mean, it's like you compensate for your strengths. Right. And I mean, that's what I, I mean by you as a lyricist. I mean, I think you're, when, when your words get lost, it's, it's almost, I, I mean, I, I have to listen to the songs again because there's something you're saying there that I want to get. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I think it makes more powerful music. I think the thing I'm trying on this next record is to write a couple more um, upbeat type things that not just for the sake of doing it but just exploring other sort of territory um, and like I, th I feel like in this new batch of songs I've written the first like actual love song I've ever written mm. where it's like actually it's not sort of tainted with any sort of not like a Hannibal. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. There's there's no double double suicides or anything. Like it's an actual feels like an actual love song. Uh, um and I really really love playing it cuz it it's one of those things where it's like wow, this I'm singing about something positive that's happened in the last, you know, year or whatever instead of you know, it's not, I don't go out of my way, but just trying to broaden the palette, I guess, is the, is the goal. Because I don't, you know, I don't want to get, I also just don't want to get pigeonholed, you know. Um, you know, mopey, melancholy, this Coming and that. Coming out of a coma. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that, was, that was the good review. <laughs> well, you know, that's not too far off, you know. I mean, uh yeah <laughs> it's an interesting i mean speaking of snapshots i mean i you're a, you seem like a fairly jolly guy uh but you know i just met you a couple of weeks ago right a couple months ago and that's what i feel like i need to translate a little bit more but i just am learning how to do that i guess yeah. and i and i i think about it a lot because one thing that the writer in willamette week kept referring to us as uh, sad bastard music <laughs> and it's kind of this idiotic genre that he thinks he invented and cuz actually I was kind of annoyed by it because yeah. I was like it's a, it's kind of uh it just doesn't really say anything you know and so I actually googled uh Willamette Week sad bastard and over two pages of his reviews came <laughs> they up they all said sad <laughs> bastard yeah and he kind of thinks it's a cool um that's a genre, genre that he's talking about, but I feel like it's really uh, oversimplifying thing. He calls Laura Gibson a sad bas bastardess or something, you know. And, well, no, that's and, just rude. And mm -hmm. Horse Feathers and uh, Damien Gerardo and Eric Bachman. Actually, Buckner was in there. And I was kind of like, well, this is really great company, you know, but there's so much more to I don't really understand it, but, you know, uh, he's the one writing the reviews, so mm -hmm. I guess he gets to do it. But... Um, I just think, I think Damien has been sort of pigeonholed that way, and I, I feel like there's so much hope in his songs 
too, and I, you know, I, it's sort of the Keatsian extreme pleasure, extreme pain that almost always happens simultaneously, but I don't think that people, um, not everyone taps into that there's, there's joy going on kind of simultaneously, but, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not as evident as it is to me, but... Well, it's delightful to listen to. This album in particular, You Can't Win, uh, is uh, available where music is sold. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Or uh, That's awesome. refrigerators. Or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or refrigerators, washing <laughs> machines, Microwaves. HDTVs. Uh, you, uh, real quick about where we find you. Uh, you are leaving on tour soon. Yeah. Um, we've got a number of things, and I think I've actually got the dates right this time. Awesome. Um, Monday, the 9th of April at the Aladdin with the Irish band The Frames. They're supposedly the, the biggest band in Ireland aside from U2. Wow. Um, Auspicious company. A, yeah. <laughs> um, they, they, they're a good band. Uh, I've, the, the main uh, songwriter, his name's Glenn Hans, Hasnard, I think. It's a good songwriter. Um, it's going to be a really fun show. Two bands on the bill. We'll play with them uh, up in Seattle on the 11th. After that at the um, Showbox Theater, which I'm really excited about. It's uh, some place I've wanted to play a long time. And then we'll start our tour with Kristen Hirsch and end up back in Portland mid-May um, back at the Aladdin with her and up at the tractor with her in Seattle. Oh, so. Kristen. Kristen, her Pete. relationship has been long. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, good times had by all on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and where we can find you uh, blogging over yeah, your website. Yeah, DeLorean.com. If you type that in, it goes to our uh, WordPress site. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have to say, I talked about the... the uh, the wall, the record on the wall, but the biggest, biggest thrill was that um, photographer Alex Soth wrote a review of our record on his blog, and he's like one of the greatest American photographers working right now. And I sent him a record, sort of on the on the whim, and uh, he responded immediately via email, and he said, "Man, I'm I'm uh, listening to this all day. I really love it." And then he said. Uh, wouldn't that be great if, if uh, we used one of my photos for the next cover? <laughs> and it, it, that's like, oh. and I was, I was freaking. Your, your, your cover art is becoming well, art. You know, it's like, <laughs> it really honestly, is. Well, I mean, you can't Gus win. Van Gus Van Sant. Uh, the, the first one, uh, Not Exotic, was a, awesome a painter uh, from, that I really, uh, a local painter, Dan Robinson. And I'm, the Alex Soth thing is, it's mind blowing. I'm re and he it was like his suggestion, and so I emailed him back and said, "You better not be, you know, I'm calling <laughs> I'm calling your bluff basically, uh. and I'm not gonna get rid of this email. So when we start, <laughs> it's coming back. When we to you, start yeah. working, yeah, you'll see it, you know, copied at the bottom. But you know, uh, we're trying to f I'm trying to figure out. It was actually a great sort of push for me to finish writing new stuff and just to think about that and um well i mean speaking of momentum what's your timetable for another say, it's album it's hard to think you just came out with you one. just what's, got yeah. this out. yeah but we've been sitting on this since june 
So wow. it was going to come out in the fall, and then I just sort of waited and waited, like I said. And, and then I thought, well, th nobody likes to release records like this in November because you just, it's, it's not like it competes with all the Christmas stuff that comes out, <laughs> but it just gets swamped, you know. So they waited till February, and uh, so I mean we've had it. We've been sitting on it for a while. I, I, That's one of the most frustrating things about when I making music. I think the music. timing was right. Yeah. I mean, like you listen, you know, the winter rent. We went right, rent. right. You know, it's like it got me thinking. It came out in February. It just got me thinking about winter and moving on to spring for some, right. whatever reason. I don't right. Know, but yeah. No, it's. Uh, yeah, I've I've always sort of felt we're a September October release date band, um, but this was good. It worked out well. Yeah. February was good, and you avoid, you know, a lot of the mayhem around uh, right. holidays. Well, so uh, head over to DeLorean.com to read Alex's excellent blog, and it really is excellent. I mean, it really shows a guy who's passionate about words. His, his blogging is really very good, and, and it's worth reading. Um, and uh, w the tour dates are on the blog, and we'll put links on yeah. uh, AcousticConversations.com. Uh, and uh, you can find the rest of us. You can certainly find me and Shane every week, Beer30Live.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, a good show this week coming I'm up. About it's this. it's I've spooky. Got some it's yeah. downright spooky. Have? We got some. Uh, we got ghost uh, ghost hunters. Yeah, ghost hunters coming. Really? Paranormal yeah. investigators. Yeah. We're pretty excited about this show coming up. Ivan uh, Reitman and Bill Murray. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, these are the streams. Venkman's cool. here. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah it's. I actually uh, we're just very saw that movie that. Uh, recently. It was on like a freebie cable at yeah. a friend's house. And it was actually pretty funny. It's a good. It it's a kind of held up yeah. way better than it I ever would have well. <laughs> It sure did. I, I remembered more Stay Puff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Next time it, somebody asks you if you were a god, say yes. I, I'll never forget. Well, anyway, we'll probably get it. Yeah, we're going along. <laughs> but uh, so you can find us at beer30live.com. You can find Kurt at kurtsiffert.com. That's true. As well as uh, deja.new, right? Where does that point? Uh, Deja is D-E-J-A dot N-U, and that points to our MySpace page currently. Excellent. Uh, got some great, great tunes going on with Deja Nu if you're into um, some very cool jazz. And uh, thanks, Kurt, for uh, letting thanks us for hosting. Uh, take you. over your house. I think Absolutely. this is a good little location. Time every time, apparently. Yeah. yeah this is <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring the beer. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and thanks, Alex, for hey, sitting thanks for having This me. is a, a real treat. I really appreciate it. Uh, awesome, this is awesome. So, for Acoustic Conversations, episode number one. Woo. There we go. Gosh, yeah. what do we say? <laughs> I, I don't know. We'll okay, have a sign off. Between, between now time. and next week, we're going to have a sign off. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Don't let it drop when you hear your little voice. I'll send money every Friday. On that you can depend Heather, remind me how this ends Heather, remind me how this ends Heather, remind me how this ends